Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, here we are. Thank you so much once again for being here uh, today as we conclude our message series, Summer Games. If you don't know me, my name is Daniel DeSoto. I am on staff here at True North as Director of Experiences. Long story short, that means I get to do some really creative stuff alongside some amazing creative people. Uh, But I'm also part of the teaching team here at True North. And we've spent this whole summer having some fun looking back at some of our favorite board games of all time and kind of finding some biblical truths in our shared collective experiences that we have with these games that we're all pretty familiar with. Um, Jesus would often tell these stories called parables. And in these parables, he would tap into the common culture of the time to help people understand something really important. So that's kind of what we've been doing for this whole series. Um, We've all played a board game or two in our time. Some of us really love board games. Others of us can take them or leave them. But within these games, there's something very familiar to us as humans. So way earlier in the series, Pastor Burt spoke about the game Perfection and and the pressures we face both internally and externally to be perfect. Uh, A few weeks back, Bobby spoke about Hungry Hungry Hippos and our desire to continue to want to acquire things even when we have already have plenty. Um, And Kathleen and Tony, uh, the last couple of weeks, talked about Candyland and Shoots and Ladders, respectively, and we talked about what we do when we face adversity. Today, I'm going to be talking about a game that really isn't about the game at all. Uh, I confess that I've never once played this game by its actual rules, and I would guess that many of you never have either. Uh, I've played with it, but I've never really played it. I'm talking about a game called Mousetrap. Yeah. So let's see our Mousetrap board. There it is in all of its complicated glory. Now, Mousetrap has a rule book and dice to roll and game pieces and a clearly defined winner at the end. Oh, man, I love it. Uh, man, it's, it still like tickles the same funny bone I had when I was a kid just to see it uh, in action like that. Um, but Mousetrap the Game was created in 1963 by Marvin Glass and Associates. They are an engineering and toy design firm based in Chicago. Some of their other greatest hits included Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah, right? <laughs> Lightbright, uh, Operation, and then several years later, Simon. So they were kind of a big deal in the toy industry. But the origins of Mousetrap go back many years before that, thanks to a man named Rube Goldberg. Rube Goldberg was an American engineer turned syndicated newspaper cartoonist. That sounds like a pretty bizarre career change, but it paid off pretty well because he was immensely successful. At one point, he was the highest paid cartoonist in the country. But his, his, his lasting legacy was really one comic strip that he drew for a really long time. And it has a weird name, so uh, I want you to bear with me on this. It was called 
The Inventions of Professor Lucifer Gorgonzola Butts. Yeah, the words I said were what you heard. You did not mishear me. That was the name of the strip, and, he, and Rube Goldberg drew this strip from 1914 to 1964. Each of these comics, uh, by the way, that was probably the only time I'll get to say the words Lucifer and butts in the same sentence in church. I think it was worth it, so I'm glad to have been there. Um, each of these comics depicted an inventor and his elaborate contraptions, which were always an unnecessarily complex arrangement of moving parts to do what was otherwise a very simple task. And here's one of those contraptions. Let's take a look. This is Rube Goldberg's self-wiping napkin. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of steps just to wipe some soup off your face. But that's, that's really what, what, what Rube Goldberg was about. But so famous and so popular were these cartoons, or these comic strips, that before too long, eventually, the term Rube Goldberg machine was used to describe any chain reaction type machine intentionally designed to perform a simple task, but in an indirect and overly complicated way. Usually, uh, these machines consisted of a series of unrelated devices, but the action of one would trigger the action of the next one, and so on and so on, until the end where a predetermined outcome was achieved. In 1949, Purdue University held the first uh, Rube Goldberg machine competition. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is Back to the Future, and the opening scene of the movie shows a Rube Goldberg machine that Doc Brown has invented to both turn on his TV and feed his dog. Um, in fact, any crazy, insane breakfast machine you've ever seen in a movie where the eggs fly across the room and land on a frying pan all the way over there, that is a Rube Goldberg machine. And so is Mousetrap. Now, Mouse, it says that Mousetrap is a game for two to four players ages six and up. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever met a six-year-old in real life, but they're not exactly skilled in the art of delayed gratification. You know, if a, if, if a six-year-old is around the dinner table and their, and their eagle hearing can hear an ice cream truck song in the distance, it might as well be an air raid siren, because mom and dad know they got to take cover. This is going to get ugly. There's no time, we gotta go, we gotta go, leave everything else behind. How could any reasonable adult person who creates board games believe that a six-year-old has the patience to wait until the appropriate time in the game to interact with that highly fantastic, exhilarating cause and effect machine that we just saw on video a few moments ago? Good luck with that, it's not gonna happen. And even if you define yourself as the sort of person who likes to play by the rules, this was probably the one game where you really didn't care because it was all about that payoff. Setting off the trap, resetting it, and starting it over again, over and over. That's what Mousetrap was really all about. Modern technology has... Um, made instant gratification such a, a normal part of our daily lives, but 
For many of us, Mousetrap was our first foray into the temptation that I want what I want right now, and actually having some say and control over that. The consequence, uh, so, so what that means is, is you have a kid saying, I don't want to wait. I don't want to take turns. And by the way, just on taking turns, um, let's just go back again and talk about how insane these game creators were. Did you know, I didn't know this until I was preparing this message, did you know that the proper way to play Mousetrap is to assemble the trap piece by piece while you're playing the game? What six-year-old has the patience for that? I don't even have the patience for that. Skip all that boring stuff, let's get right down to the action. But the consequence of this is that very quickly, this game, which was meant for two to four players, quickly devolves into a single-player game. There's a famous leadership book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, Mousetrap is more like how to lose friends and alienate people because nobody wants to play with you afterwards. <laughs> it becomes all about me and all about that payoff. Now, this is pretty easy to say about kids, but what about us? Have you ever been so single-minded about something that you wanted that you didn't care how it affected the people around you? Of course you have, and so have I. Uh, when I was in 11th grade, uh, my school had a junior prom. Um, junior proms are weird. I don't know why we need a junior prom. Why do we need two proms? Um, it makes both of them pointless. You know, it's like having this, playing the Super Bowl and then like the game is over. Let's just have another one just for fun. Um, why, I don't know. But I had a small friend group that I really wanted to ride to the junior prom in the same limo with. But they ended up making plans to ride in a larger limo with some other people that I wasn't necessarily as friendly with. And the person who was organizing it, I, I really didn't know well at all. So I didn't have the personal clout with this person to lobby for a seat of my own on, in the limo. Um, I definitely tried a hundred different ways of asking and trying, but it just wasn't working out. And I was pretty bummed about it. Then, like two weeks before the junior prom, my friend has an idea. It's a very dumb idea, mind you. But I am unable to see how, know how dumb it is because, like I said, I've got a pretty one-track mind about what I want this, at this point. So rational thought has kind of escaped me. Um, there was a girl in, in my class, in my grade, named Jess. And my friend has the suggestion, hey, Jess doesn't have a date for the junior prom, and she's in that limo. Why don't you ask her to be your date? Now, I knew Jess, and we were friendly and cordial, but we were more like polite acquaintances than any kind of actual friend. Um, she was perfectly nice, we just didn't vibe because, you know, teenagers are, are, are awkward. But that didn't matter to me at all because she was my ticket to a fun, memorable night with my friends. Like, I'm, like in my head, I'm thinking, okay, she doesn't have a date. 
And I presume that means she's not going to have a date at all. That just means she doesn't have a date yet. And in my head, I'm going in there like, all right, so then she has zero reason to say no to me, a relatively cute, otherwise well-behaved boy with a pretty good reputation. What, why would she ever say no to me? Uh, but so you, may, you may start be, to see where this is going. Um, so I, right after that class, I made a beeline. Her locker was not that far from mine. Um, and I don't think I've ever been so bold in talking to a girl in my entire life beside this moment. But I was like irrationally bold. Like I had no sense of privacy. There are plenty of people with an earshot to hear this fantastic interaction that's about to go down. And, and I just stepped up and I said, Jess, would you go to the junior prom with me? And with very little hesitation, she said, no. <laughs> well, believe me, it was hard to be there, too. Um, but, but, but wait, there's more. She wasn't done. Um, she went on and, and said, if you were really interested in going with me, I might have said yes. But I know you were only interested in being in that limo. Yeah. Yeah, rough, rough times uh, in Daniel, Daniel's world. I'm still, uh, still recovering from, from that one. But um, in that moment, I, like, suddenly rational thought like, just all came back, and, and I remembered, oh, right, Jess is a person too. She has feelings of her own that have nothing to do with me and my agenda. Oh, I just totally forgot. I was so fixated on what I wanted that I was unable to see that this sweet, kind girl had value all on her own. I was so focused on the payoff that I forgot about the person. Now, in the end, the outcome uh, was, pretty, was pretty just. You know, I kind of got what I deserved um, with all that. She ended up going with, with a guy from another school, by all accounts had a great time. I ended up having no time at all, and I didn't go. Um, if you feel bad for me, you can just give to my GoFundMe page. Um, but sometimes, sometimes we allow that, that desire to see the payoff, that me-first mentality to infiltrate our relationship with God. And whether you're still not sure what to make of all this Jesus stuff or if you've been a believer for a long time, we all get tripped up by this expectation that if we believe, then I'll get what I want. If I pray enough, then I'll get what I want. If I do all the right things, then I'll get what I want. If I check all those boxes, I will get what I want. And we misidentify God as some wish-granting genie instead of as a loving father who's far more concerned that we become better people. We can even point to a few verses in the Bible that seem to say something like that. So right now, I would like to take a look at some of these verses that we regularly enjoy misinterpreting and twisting toward our own agenda. Let's take a look at Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more 
than we might ask or think. How about this one, Philippians 4.13? It's a pretty famous one. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And John 14, verses 13 and 14, these are actually the words of Jesus. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. Have you ever been so convinced that something you wanted was what God wanted as well? There's nothing wrong with having goals and dreams. In fact, many of the desires of our heart are direct byproducts of the way God uniquely designed and created us. You know, if, if you have a desire to create something new, to, to see the world outside of your own front door, to be married, uh, if you want to have community, or just live a life that matters, these are all good things that come from an authentic place. But in our haste to experience the payoff and to put the achievement of that payoff as our top priority, we often disregard the plans, the wisdom, and the goodness of God. We think God is moving too slow in showing us the payoff. So we often take matters into our own hands and rely on our own understanding, our own solutions, our own power. The reality is, God is not too slow in showing us the payoff. But actually, God has a totally different payoff in mind for us. And that payoff involves other people. So those verses we read not too long ago, uh, we're going to read them one more time, but this time we're going to read them through the lens of a different verse. Now, I don't have a slide for this verse, but the verse is, love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't put up a slide for this verse because it, this phrase occurs so many times in the New Testament that I wouldn't even know which actual scripture to use in this scenario. But the frequency that this occurs just shows how monumentally important this commandment is for us. So what happens now when we read Ephesians 3.20 through the lens of loving your neighbor. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Maybe the infinitely more than we can ask or think is not how much cool stuff we'll get to have and do in our lifetimes, but the parts we'll get to play in loving healing, and restoring other people when it otherwise seems improbable. What happens when we read Philippians 4.13 in the same way? For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe the everything I can do is not becoming the big, biggest success, or becoming the most accomplished or the best in your field, but all the ways you can have a positive 
impact on people around you when you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone. What happens when we read John 14, verses 13 and 14? These are the words of Jesus, mind you. Let's read them through the lens of loving our neighbor. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name. Maybe the anything you ask for in his name is not wealth or adventure, but it's offering yourself up willingly in his service to love those who are the most difficult to love and then asking Jesus for the patience to love them well. To me, this all sounds like maybe, just maybe, the payoff is the person. We have this thing we like to say at True North, um, and it's honor God, love others, serve all. As we kind of wrap this up, you may be thinking that I'm going to focus on that middle section, the love others, because that seems kind of topical. Um, but the real deal is you can't do any one of those things without also doing the others. You can't honor God if you're not loving others and serving all. You're not loving others if you're not serving all. And I'd even go so far as to say that you can't love others effectively if you're not honoring God as the only love that we're capable apart from God is so conditional and so broken. And you can't serve all without honoring God and loving others because you'll never truly see the unseen until you take your eyes off of yourself. When you believe in Jesus, it's no longer about you. When we're fixated on our own payoff, that's not a nice thing to hear. That is a struggle. That is a really tough thing to make peace with. But when we embrace the freedom that comes from it no longer being about us, when we make our payoff the person, that is when we'll see God do more than we can ask or think. Now, maybe that also sounds like an overly complicated way to do something very simple. Yeah, but then again, that's exactly what Jesus would do when he used parables to explain something that should be easy for us to understand. But instead of giving up on us, when we fail to grasp the truths he wants us to understand, he meets with us where we are and communicates with us lovingly and gently. The desires he has for us, which are ultimately better than anything we can grasp on our own. And you know what? <laughs> Praise the Lord that he loves us that much. And that he's that creative and that persistent to do whatever it takes for us to get it. To do whatever it takes for us to know him better and be the people he wants us to be. 
that he's that persistent that he's going to build a bunch of complicated mousetrap devices and intricate Rube Goldberg machines in the backgrounds of our lives to bring us where he wants us to be, for us to become the loving people he wants us to be. And Jesus is going to be with us in that journey all the time, no matter how long it takes. So I hope that you've enjoyed this series, uh, that we, this time we spent together. Next week, we're going to start a brand new series. But now, let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for, for this day and for these truths that you're wanting us to understand. Father, we know that we can often get very fixated on the things that we want and our own priorities and our own wants. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to not forget about other people in, in the process of that. Help us to prioritize the other people to, at the expense of our, of our things that we want. We pray that as we leave here today, Father, you would equip us to reflect your love and your light to all the people we encounter throughout this week. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.